Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. It's good to be back. And wouldn't you know, all hell broke loose when I decided to take a vacation. But such is life. Uh, we are back at it as a three-man team for this week's show. And let's not waste any more time. We've got a lot to get into. Don't want to waste any more time. Let's get into it. But before I bring in the rest of the team, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for your continued support of Longhorn Blitz last week, our Arch Manning episode. While I was not here, it is our on the Horns 24-7 podcast feed. It is our most listened to episode in the last 30 days. So shout out to Matt and Rod for holding it down. But shout out to you, the listener, for consuming our content even when we are not a full show. That makes me prouder of anything that we normally do when one of us can be gone, but the show still keeps rolling along nice and strong. And when you have one of the biggest news stories uh, to Grace's program in the last two decades. Uh, that also have uh, plays a role. But thank you guys so much. Uh, anywhere you get your podcast, search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247, no dashes, no slashes. Click that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to get to Horns 24-7, the latest and greatest in Longhorn team news notes and nuggets, the best recruiting coverage in the Texas market with Mike Roach and Hudson Standish. is all available at Horns 24-7. Now let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? How was the vacay? Vacay was great. Um, I avoided the, uh, the apparently at Palmia, the Palmia Beach Golf Course in Port Aransas. Apparently there's a giant rattlesnake that likes to sun <laughs> himself on the uh, on the green on five. How big uh, is giant? How big is giant? I didn't see him, so I don't know. So, giant to me, I mean, they held even th- three to four feet. That's pretty yeah. damn big to yeah. me. So what's giant to y'all? But I, I was told uh, I, it's I, first time I've ever played a Lynx course in my life, which is fairways are a little narrower. You don't have water houses, but you got the, the rough and the rough at the Palmia Beach. It's all dunes. And I was told, look, if you hook your ball into the dunes, um, don't with the rattlesnakes. Don't even bother going in. Just take a drop. So <laughs> I I heeded the advice of the starter and took drops. But <laughs> um, now that's some good advice too, man. Because in <laughs> recent years I have learned of these rattlesnakes and sand dunes. But in my younger days, I remember like trying to run kegs through different types of sand dunes and being like, man, thank God I survived that. <laughs> <laughs> the dumb stuff you do in your teenage yes. and teenage years and early twenties <laughs> that you look back in your thirties and forties and realize, man. How did I not end up in jail for that? That list can be plentiful. Or just bit times. by a rattlesnake. Yeah, or that that too. Uh, but no, Matt, uh, Matt Sick Obsession, I do call Matt the Daily Fantasy Guru. We're actually having to change our recording schedule for next week because, Matt, I didn't even know this existed. 
Daily Fantasy for NBA Summer League. Oh, yeah, Summer wow. League. Summer League's how you go, baby. That's that's how you go. Well, you know what? I, I understand that because you a lot of people don't play it. Yeah. So you don't have as much competition. Yeah, exactly. That's and why. And they still pay just point. as high as the money. Yeah. There's like two okay. of the top players in the world yeah. play. And then also getting news is a big deal. And I got a cousin that works Summer League, so I got a little in. So I always got to take advantage <laughs> of that when I can. Ooh. Man, a man who uh, wow. who who loves a love loves a good end when he can get it. Uh, yeah, loves good Damn statistics. Right. Uh, just loves sports. Loves pop culture. He's a Renaissance man. But for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, two thousand two UT All American, two thousand two semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in two thousand three. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the Forty Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. I appreciate that intro, brother. I appreciate it. I had to make sure that, uh, that, that was the part of this podcast I was worried about the most. Like, don't come back from vacation and botch the intro. <laughs> and I oh. survived it. So. And we don't even try to do intros when you're gone, so yes. we just open it up. We give we our credit to you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, your, you, guys held it, you guys held it down last week. <laughs> like I said, that Arch Manning episode in the last 30 days on the Horns 24-7 podcast feed is our most listened to episode, so props to you guys. People want to talk Arch Manning. Um, yeah, well, I do want to talk I do want to talk a little bit more, and then this will be a little bit of rehash from what you guys talked about last week. Because uh, I got some interesting numbers, Rod. Just to add on, you I know you keep track of the uh, the Texas numbers in terms of attrition rates and quarterbacks, kind of the the post Colt McCoy mm-hmm. quarterbacks and and that attrition. I, I I've got that written down on one of these legal pads. I've got in my bag. I like tracking that, but also some NFL numbers that jive and just shows you, hey man, just stack your quarterback room and things to, will man. things will be fine like at the end of the day. Underwear. I do want to rehash that a little bit and also get into. Some a little bit of recruiting and some conference realignment talk if we've got time. But on the stack of the quarterbacks, um, Rod, do you have those numbers handy in terms of the post Colt McCoy Texas quarterbacks? I, I'll give you a minute to find uh, them. I think um, we went over them last week. Yeah, I know you so went over them last week. Fresh on the mind yeah, of I think the listener, right? There. So, where how I wanted to look at it was I went and looked at at uh, in terms of the NFL, and I looked at basically starting with the 2000 draft, which the 2000 draft was the draft that. Got Tom Brady into the NFL, pick number 199 overall right. in the sixth round. And I looked at franchises, basically from the 2000 draft on through this most recent draft, at the number of quarterbacks they've drafted. And, uh, Rod, I don't know if you keep track of these numbers, but I, I, I believe my numbers are right because I found, I think, the New, uh, the New York Times, somebody had done it from 2000 through, like, 2018, and then I just kind of added the rest of the drafts from there. Okay. But I found this fascinating to show you, to go back to what you talked about last week about stacking the quarterback room. The New England Patriots, starting including Tom Brady, starting with the 2000 draft, have drafted 13 quarterbacks. That's tied for the second most in the NFL. And they drafted 12 of those quarterbacks after they already drafted Tom Brady. Now that does include Mac Jones and, and the recent drafts, but after they landed their franchise quarterback, at the end of the day, when all is said and done, will be the greatest quarterback the game has ever seen at that level, you dra- you still felt the need to take 12 quarterbacks after you already had him in the fold. And by the way, when you drafted Tom Brady, shows the genius of Bill Belichick, you had Drew Bledsoe on a $100 million contract at that point in time. 
But you still felt compelled to go draft a quarterback. No, that's my prime example I brought up for like the last decade about Mm -hmm. just if he's the GOAT, you know what I mean? Watch watch what Belichick did when it came to the quarterback because he understood that it was just luck. Yeah. That it wasn't some, you know, grand scheme. It wasn't their development. It was just sheer luck. We've got further data to back, to back you up here um, real and quick. And that's basically that. what it did. I, and I go back, I always bring up, in addition to the Patriots, I always bring up the Packers, right? The Packers, mm-hmm. you go back to, you know, um, to, to, to Thompson, right? They, they, Thompson. they believe that, you know, you should draft the quarterback every year. Uh, they didn't do it every year, but they came pretty close to drafting them every year, and they believed in stockpiling quarterbacks. And they never really talked about why. They just thought the quarterback position was an asset. They could use it for a lot of different things. You can you can develop a backup. You can flip it. Patriots do a lot of that, flipping their quarterbacks into picks, right, where you're talking about a Matt Castle or a Jimmy Garoppolo. And a lot of those quarterbacks the Patriots drafted, just how you know how Belichick thinks, they were drafted higher than Tom Brady drafted in the sixth round. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I think psychologically that helped uh, with, you know, the quarterback room for Bill Belichick, he understood Tom Brady's psychology was that Tom Brady was always better in a competitive environment as a quarterback that even when he was at Michigan, that's how basically you'll know, you look at Lloyd Carr. That's how he brought out the best of him in that competitive sickness at Michigan. And Tom Brady talks about this, that, you know, when he was in, in eighth grade, how he was like a you know third or fourth string quarterback. And then, you know, even when he went to Michigan, how he was, we said six string quarterback at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was just trying to play and got, Draft in the sixth round. Talks about that competitive sickness. I think Belichick, the brilliance of it, not only did he stack the quarterback room, but that he understood that Tom Brady's competitive sickness was based on guys that guys in that quarterback room who he was insecure about, who he thought were going to take his job. And why wouldn't he? He was drafted in the sixth round. All those other guys were drafted ahead of him by yeah. Bill Belichick. Yeah. And he took somebody's job. He took Drew Bledsoe's job. So in his mind, he was always thinking, hey, you know what? I need to only take a pay cut. So it, it actually helped him salary cap-wise because he always thought, nah, you know what? That guy's drafting quarterbacks. He could easily be drafted my replacement. I'm going to take a pay cut. That's what's best for the Patriots. So we keep winning, and that's the I Patriot way. Yeah. right? So not only to help him competitive-wise, but also help you salary cap-wise. So many reasons to just keep drafting quarterbacks in the NFL. And I've said yeah. it for years. I don't know why more teams don't do it. Especially at the backup quarterback position. If the back Backup position is if the quarterback position is the most valuable position in sports. The backup position is the insurance right. behind that position, and everything that's valuable in our life, our house, our cars, our health, all right, our life, we take insurance out on. But the quarterback position, people don't do it. They're just starting to figure it out now in the NFL. Some are starting to figure. Well, it out. yeah. If you, did y'all watch the Tuck Rule, the thirty for thirty that Charles Woodson and Brady did together? Because they're you know. Woodson was on that Michigan team mm-hmm. with Brady as a youngster, and yep. he sort of then talks about what he saw in Brady at the time because it was all Drew Henson was the big deal or, you know, whatever quarterback that was ahead of Brady, but Brady was always the same person and how he basically lived off of that type of grit, always being the guy that's been passed up, even though he's still in the area to have the opportunity, but he was always the guy that had that chip on his shoulder and that that type of personality, just having to fight for the edge of his career since he was 20 years old sort of gave it to where, like, once he becomes that older, what other people would think, you mm-hmm. know, job secure and entitled, it isn't his nature, and his nature is playing with that type of chip as if, exactly. hey, i got to go and win to end, or it's my career and I'm done. So, Rada, I just want to throw these numbers at you. So I've got, on average, since 2000, um, per year, um, 
about the average number of quarterbacks taken per team. So the average team on, on the NFL teams on average drafted drafted about eight point six quarterbacks. So between eight and nine quarterbacks <laughs> was the league average from two thousand up through this most recent draft. Yeah, I just of teams that were I consider eight the league average. Okay, okay. So of the following teams, I just want to run down some oh, of the teams and I'll see within it. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you the teams at the league average. I believe the Cowboys have drafted the fewest quarterbacks. Oh, yeah. They're tied. They're tied for the fewest. They're like Quincy yeah. Carter, like them and the Colts, <laughs> them and the Chiefs, huh? Them and the Chiefs, okay, with five. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the Colts are tied for the second lowest. Yeah, because the Colts just caught up because the Colts had yeah, you know, they had Andrew and Luck and, and they had Peyton Manning, so yeah. they didn't need to draft quarterbacks. So these are the franchises at the league, right? Right around the league average are better, and I'll give you. It took this number, many number of quarterbacks for them to find a franchise guy. Uh, the Bengals at eight, they've got their franchise guy now with Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. The Chargers are at eight, they've got their franchise guy with Justin Herbert. Uh, then you've got franchises like the Dolphins, the Panthers, the Vikings are at eight, the Titans are at eight. Notice I'm not talking about a lot of they, now. Some of these franchises have had high picks like the Titans in that in that span. That includes Vince Young, Marcus Mariota, guys that ultimately well, I mean, were not. You brought up the Chargers, the fact that Rivers, you know, you still had eight since then, and Rivers has been there since '04 yeah. as you know a first round pick. They just, that means they kept on drafting them. That also includes yeah. Drew Brees too. Smart yeah. was drafted by the Chargers. So yeah, th- basically we'll see what happens with Justin Herbert's career. But in the, of those eight quarterbacks, it could be possible that the Chargers franchise drafted three Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Yeah, Breeze, Rivers, and Herbert. Yeah. We'll see. That's, we'll see yeah. if Rivers gets in. Keep drafting him. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And they would have had Eli if it wasn't for Rivers. Just also, keep drafting him. Also, uh, among eight, the Giants have drafted eight quarterbacks. They got Eli Manning, and well, <laughs> they traded draft. for his draft rights. Yeah, and I'll throw Rivers. Rivers in there too. Essentially, yeah. So I'm not getting technical yeah, yeah, there. Gotcha. Uh, the Cardinals are at eight, and we'll see what happens with Kyler Murray. Uh, the Bills are at eight. I think they found their franchise guy finally with Josh Allen. The Bears are at eight. There's one of those the franchises Bears. still searching. The Bears. Yeah. The Bucks also at eight. And Rod, the Green Bay Packers at eight. Yeah. And you drafted that many quarterbacks considering you had a and lot of success. Brett you went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. That's why they've had success. The mm-hmm. reason they have success is because they draft quarterback. It's not, you know, to, to me, I, I don't think it's a chicken or the egg. I think it, it is, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's the egg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they are egg, man. Like, it's just, yeah, draft quarterbacks and you'll be better off. So at nine, you've got the Jaguars. Uh, who maybe they found their franchise guy with Trevor Lawrence. The thing about the Jags has spent a lot of first-round picks in that span on quarterbacks. Byron yeah. Leftwich, Blake Bortles. Yeah. <laughs> they can work out for everybody. I mean, By the way, Byron really Leftwich, who was one of those Jaguars' first-round picks, is Tom Brady's quarterback's coach now. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's weird how football works. We're talking somewhere. about what we've seen in the NBA forever. You can just get as many of the tickets as you um, can to try to get one to hit. The, yep. e- the Eagles have also drafted nine quarterbacks. That includes Nick Foles, who they drafted, and Carson Wentz. And Wentz. Yeah. And they traded Nick. They traded back for Nick Foles and got him back. I remember they're <laughs> the ones who actually started really investing in a backup quarterback. I mean, they were paying more money for their backup quarterback than anybody in the league at the time. They were like, no, no, no. Yeah. we really like Nick Foles. Yeah, and there were other people like, what? You guys are crazy. Like, nope, sorry, we do it. End up paying off for. Yep. Also, also at so also at nine, uh, you got the Houston Texans, who they drafted a franchise quarterback in Deshaun Watson. He's not there anymore. Just not there anymore, and actually, <laughs> maybe better off for it. <laughs> uh, speaking <laughs> of which, uh, <coughs> Fran, excuse me, franchises drafted ten quarterbacks in that time span. The Browns have drafted ten quarterbacks. Oh, uh, not surprising. But yeah. also, Browns dra- and Bears are just doomed. But keep on drafting. But also drafting ten quarterbacks, Rod. Talk about f- stable franchises: the Steelers and the Ravens. 
Okay. Double digit quarterbacks mm. in that span yeah. that they've drafted. And this, the Ravens drafted a Super Bowl MVP in Joe Flacco, and the Steelers drafted Ben Roethlisberger. So they got a Hall of Fame franchise quarterback. And they've been drafting that many, even though they had Roethlisberger that same year, 04 of Rivers and Eli. Like, that's a long time. Think about to the still Dennis Dixons and the Brian St. Pierre's yep. and Mason Rudolph, and let's go down the list. Uh, at 11, 11 quarterbacks drafted. The Broncos have drafted 11 quarterbacks again. Okay. Yeah. yeah, doesn't work out for everybody. And yeah. we've seen but sort they, of, and they brought in the, the they they brought in free agent big time mm-hmm. quarterbacks, and that's going to be their saving grace. Exactly. <laughs> that I mean, that's just somehow Elway's cursed at identifying them. That's been his problem. Yeah. Uh, so then at thirteen, you got again just shows you mixed results. You got the Patriots, the 49ers drafted thirteen quarterbacks, starting with Giovanni Carmazzi. All, all the way up through uh, Trey Lance. Mm-hmm. They've had some good ones, though. And uh, Washington has drafted 13 quarterbacks in that span. Wow. Now Shanahan took a couple yeah. to start. Yep. And the franchise that's drafted the most quarterbacks, again, just to show you, you get mixed results. Sometimes it only takes a few to get it right. Sometimes you have to just keep trying. Man, the poor New York Jets have drafted 14 quarterbacks, starting with the 2000 draft. Some teams are just cursed. You got the Jets, yes. Bears, and Browns. That's just where it goes. Well, I say, it's not going to work out for everybody, but for the most part, I'm with you, man. Just keep And just we've keep seen the natural evolution just in our lifetime of watching football because at first, like, it, and it's funny, it goes sort of full circle because in the NFL, like, you didn't have a backup quarterback helping a team to go to the Super Bowl until it was that Phil Simms get injured, Jeff Hostentler's a guy that can help them go and make it through. But collegiately, you know, we got to see up close how that value of having just a backup quarterback in the room. And then when we've seen these spread quarterbacks mm-hmm. and the running quarterback, you've almost been like, okay, you may strategically need to have a backup. And that happens with your foals and a Carson Wentz in the way that we've seen modern situations play out where multiple backups can help carry a team to where like, not only is there a reason that you want to stockpile them to be there for the longevity over long haul, mm-hmm. but also within one season you have to have two because you don't want to have to throw Garrett Gilbert in, in the middle of a game that he got the, Live bullets coming at you, and you point. don't know where it's going to go. And bringing it back to Texas, something you guys talked about last week, but I just wanted to rehash it because I wrote a column about this right before, actually, the morning I left for vacation. I published this column at Horns 24 7 talking yeah. about stockpiling quarterbacks, and I, I broke down this NFL data and basically how Texas. Basically, Mac Brown played with fire for so long, and he finally got burned. The Colt McCoy injury is the injury that burned him. Matt, like you said, your backup quarterback position was not solidified to where in the most important game of your season, the worst-case scenario happened, and you just kind of had to throw an unproven freshman out there and hope that he swam and didn't sink. And it didn't. Ultimately, it didn't work out for you. And the ultimate, like the game that would be the ultimate legacy game of all time. You win two and four right. years, or you two and five years. It feels as if you could have maybe been a three and five champion to then have in twenty ten happen. Like because that was it, a tipping point. I, I agree with you. I think that was much like a lot of things for Mac Brown. It was later in his tenure because earlier yep. in his tenure. He was stockpiling quarterbacks. Yep, exactly. Hell, in my class alone, 99, we had yep. two quarterbacks. Hell, he's the one that opened up the Westlake pipeline Boy, and with theory, Adam Hall. And then you bring in Sims 
from Hill, New Jersey, number one overall prospect and the number one quarterback recruit. And then the next year, you keep stockpiling. Here at one point in 2002, you end up in that damn room with Sims, with VY, yep. and Chance Mock. Don't forget about Norco. And Norco <laughs> in the damn room, right? Well, so, so I think later on is when he started to ignore it like he ignored I think a that, lot I of I think things. that's the and most— then, that yeah. when you when you look back at it, I, I somebody can feel free to disagree with me yeah. if you want to think about Texas quarterback rooms like back in the '60s or whatever. <laughs> that 2002 quarterback room, in my opinion, it's the most talented quarterback room in the history of the program. For sure. Well, until late, we'll see. Yeah, it could again be, yeah, right now. Up until it could point, be 2023, yes. yeah, yeah. but <laughs> as of right now, yeah, you're right. With again, Chris Sims, Chance Mock, Matt Nordgren, Vince Young. That's mm-hmm. blue chip. One blue chip. I mean, V.Y. Redshirt, you think about this, you had the luxury, you didn't, you had the number one quarterback prospect in the country, the number one prospect in the country. You didn't need to play him as a no. true freshman. Yeah, no. and that's a luxury. And they, see, that's where and the And you inherited major off all that. Where that 08 09 <laughs> team, I think Mac maybe thought at the time, but it was when we started to see more transfers because you did have some time whenever it was thought it would be, say, Colt McCoy, what, G.J. Kinney, Jevin Sneed, and Sherrod Right, Harris. I'll get to that yeah. in a second. But then you have a transfer, another one, and then Sherrod was a guy that a lot of people thought was going to be put in the game instead of Garrett. But Garrett was that five-star guy that Mac had sort of seen and been like, oh, man, that's a bit tough decision, the old veteran Sherrod, or go yeah. with Garrett. No, right. To that point, okay, so do you, I got those numbers about the quarterbacks. Okay. Do you want them real quick? Go, go for it, Rod, yeah. Okay, so just real quick. Uh, Texas signed two, 24 quarterbacks since 2005. Four quarterbacks still on campus, right? You got Malik Murphy, yours, uh, Hudson Card, and you got Wright, mm-hmm, Charles, Charles Wright, right? So that's four quarterbacks. So take those out of the equation. Now you got just left with 20 quarterbacks. Other 20 quarterbacks uh, you signed who are not on campus, who exhaust their eligibility since 2005. 11 of them transfers. So you're actually now, you're lower than a national rate. The na- Remember, Texas at one point was way ahead of the national rate of quarterback transfers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it turns out Texas was just ahead of the game because yeah. they were stockpiling <laughs> so many good quarterbacks. Yeah. Now you look at how Cam Rising is one of the better quarterbacks in the country. Like Even yeah. quarterbacks that were transferring from Texas, getting back to Max Point, uh, they were actually you know actually flourishing at other mm-hmm. spots. We saw yeah. that across Bouchel, the country. Gilbert. End up starting. Them, yeah, yeah other places. So now Texas is actually 55% uh, tr- uh, transfer rate of those quarterbacks. Two of them ended up retiring due to Injuries. Three of them changed positions. Uh, so, uh, and four of them graduated. It's, it's, I should say, exhausted their eligibility right. playing the quarterback position. And that was both of the McCoys. Thank God for the McCoys. Tyrone Swoops. Swoops, there it is. Who, who was, was a utility yeah. player than anything. And Bam Bam Sam. Sam Ellinger's the latest success the story to bring it back. So, basically, look at your look at your hit rates, man. Look at your hit rate. Yeah. Over the over the last seventeen years. You're around twenty percent, and that's that's not a hit rate of, of of great of being all Big Twelve or anything like that. That's a hit rate of just guys who finish their that's eligibility cool. playing the quarterback position. You're at twenty percent. You better stockpile. Your yeah. success yeah. rate is so low for everybody. By the way, they just Texas. No, and I want to get the reason why I bring the NFL numbers up is because who do we regard as maybe the greatest quarterback evaluator, quarterback mind in the history of football? Probably Bill Walsh, right? No question. How did Bill Walsh not see it with Tom Brady, number one? And number two, how was Bill Walsh on record at one point as saying, I have seen the next Joe Montana, and his name is Rick Meyer? Even Bill Bill Walsh, Bill Walsh the greatest yeah. quarterback mind this Dame game has reason. ever seen, yeah. Bill Walsh got it wrong yeah, it more than he got it right. It happens. Yeah. Well, it's just it's, it's the nature of so the So it position. tells you, there is, Rod, to your point, yeah. nobody, has, nobody at, at any level of this game has figured out quarterback other than, you know what, I'm just going to get as many as I can 
And those are the smart ones. I'm gonna hit on and if to, anything Andy Reid almost has. But that's Andy Reid can pluck anybody or turn Andy anybody Reed into likes, one. He like they like he likes to bring in a lot of quarterbacks. Oh, yeah. so remember he, Michael Vick. He yeah. brought in Vince Young. He'll bring that's in like hey, bring him in. Let me see what he's got. Let me see what he's got. He's a Alex guy that Smith was yeah, nothing. He'll, and he he'll continuously him. bring a quarterback in. So he's one of those guys. He's a West Coast guy. Yep. So he's all about no stockpiles. Because who was Andy, who was well, who was who was who was Andy Reid with when he was in Green Bay? It was the Mike Holmgren. Mike Holmgren was the He's same one way. Those guys from that yep. Green Bay school. You're right yep. about that. It's like, no, we'll stockpile quarterbacks all day, every day. So Still, John Gruden. John mm-hmm. Gruden. Oh, Say what you want about John Gruden. John He's Gruden. obsessed with stockpiling QBs. Yep. <laughs> right like, about what are you going to do with all these guys? I don't know, but I just like them. But he's right. But you you know what? You, you'll, never be, you'll never be in the worst spot, the worst situation in football, which is I don't have a quarterback. Well, and if you hit on them, you're taking them away from your opponent, too. Because you know there's a finite amount, and there aren't many of them. That's but true. it's like you don't want to miss on the guy. So if you're going to err and you think this guy might be worth it, it's probably worth taking the shot. Flip him, yeah. think, about, think about this. From 2002, 3, 4, 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, over four recruiting cycles, Texas signed two quarterbacks. Wow. It just so happened those two quarterbacks were Vince Young and Colt McCoy. Yeah. But – how close? Think of, I always go back to this. It slowed down at like this yeah. just this just yeah. shows you like the and maybe look the old, I think we all agree the O five team was infinitely more talented to me than the O nine team. Yeah, but where they are similar. What if something would have happened? What if that game at Ohio State? What if something happens to Vince Young and Matt Nordgren has to finish that game? Yep, or Colt McCoy because he's burned. the only option at that point. Yep. Yeah. Oh, there's no way, no way in hell Colt was ready. Well, to Well, I know out. that's what I'm saying. Like you got Nord Cole or Texas, Colt. Texas teams, and then Mac, by the way, was part of this. He built them quarterback centric. Remember, this is the lesson that he learned when he got. He thought he was gonna beat Bama, and he was really confident. Remember, I told you I had never seen Mac that cocky and arrogant. He, yeah. He, you thought he was gonna fight Nick Saban, and he was gonna end up beating him, beating him too. Like he, he was, was, he was, he was, he, he, he thought he knew something. I think they just they knew they were gonna be able to shred that that defense. Of Nick were Saban's you out there for that game? Offense. Offense. Yeah. Okay. And and he, I'm telling you, he was really cocky and arrogant about it. And I think he was ready to ride off into the sunset. And he got, you know, obviously we all know how it went down, and we don't need to get into it because I don't want to get depressed either. But I think the lesson that Mac Brown took from that is he wanted to get away from the quarterback centric model. Mm-hmm. Remember that's when he wanted oh, to go yeah. pound. He wanted to go, you know, ground and pound. He rebranded he the whole program. Go, yeah, after he wanted that. to kind of rebrand the downhill program. running attack. Well, because I think he believed. Uh, I think he just. I don't, I don't believe it. I, I don't. I didn't b- uh, believe this, but I think he believed it at the time. Yeah. Um. That the quarterback model was too fragile. That he had he had brought in Chris Sims and they had become they came really close to at least playing for a national title or at least winning a Big Twelve title and the quarterback cost him. Right, quarterback meltdowns, whatever it is. And may this is coming be. off the Sioux game. Right, exactly, right. And I think he's just, he's starting, to, he's starting to see it, right? He's looking at the macro, he's looking at it all. And he's he's looking at what Vince Young did. And I'm sure he, he was thinking to himself, man, if we don't win that national title without Vince Young. Yeah. Like, he literally did it on his own. He literally, it was, it, it was off script, Sark. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he went off, he just did it. I and mean, he just did the damn thing. That's what he does. All right. And won the national title. And we all know our history. And we went, but I think Mac, as a coach, was looking at it, went, holy hell, man, without that guy, we're that's done. a sack or a, 
We and, you know, they throw, they throw it away or incompletion, and then yep. we lose that game. Which, he's thinking about he's thinking about how close he was, yeah. right? How close he's been in the Big 12 title with Sims having his worst game as a starter, period, mm-hmm. in the Big 12 title game. Or yep. costing him games versus Oklahoma, right? Those just it was just a, the quarterback not having good yeah. games. Yep. And I think he realized after that Cole McCoy game, and he he was so cocky and arrogant. He was the fall from grace for him. I think was just it, psychologically it was damaging. It was devastating for yep. him because he he was sure he was going to win, and he was going to win because he had the better quarterback and the bromance between Shipley and between Cole. Nobody could stop it. I don't, no. I, nobody can stop it. I don't give a damn how good you can. You can double them if you want to. They were doubling all year long. Yeah. And you nobody gotta, can stop it. For those for those of you who don't <laughs> rem- don't, who don't remember that game, the Alabama then is not the Alabama that we know. No, now. it was the beginning of the dynasty. It wasn't yeah. as well constructed as it is. You know, five six years it later, had the starters yeah. were up on that yeah. elite level. It wasn't a whole roster that was. So at well, that. but I the, think the, Texas, I'll, I'll and, add to that too, real quick though, on that Alabama team. And I've heard Greg McElroy and other guys say this. Not to say that they were overlooking Texas, but the Super Bowl for them was beating Florida in the SEC championship game. Like at that point, they felt like they had already slayed the dragon. Because last point. they, they felt like before, they were cocky. beating they that, Urban, they were that be Urban Meyer, Tim yeah. Tebow team. Because that year before, they had fallen short to them. And I still remember how big of a deal it was to Alabama at the time. But to your point, Rod, you're spot on because if you look at what beat Texas during that Mac Brown era, was sort of that same just overpowering like Lindell White just running through the defense. Whipping you. Oklahoma (laughs) just bludgeoning (laughs) you. And then Alabama, what did they do with Mark Ingram? And that it was the more that just bludging that Texas couldn't stop. And that's what Mac wanted. You could see that vision that he talked about all throughout 2010. That's why stockpiling those running backs like that. And he started thinking to himself, you know what? Chris Whaley's in these huge bodies. He was focusing less on quarterback, right? He was devoting less scholarships to quarterback, just focusing less on it, period. And you should should never, ever do that within your organization. Pro or amateur, whatever, you should should always focus on the quarterback position at a really, really intense high level. And you think the O-line wouldn't have dropped to the level it did at that time if that was his vision. When you talk yourself out of taking Andrew Luck, <laughs> your your system's flawed. That's what I'm saying. I'm thinking about <laughs> you know? exactly. And then that became also that the Shakespearean irony of Mac's demise here at Texas was the state of Texas. At the, the same state time. became the quarterback mecca. It overtook California mm-hmm. and every other state in the union and started producing more high-level quarterbacks. All right. He went against uh, the actually, tide and, at and, the worst and, time and the, ever. The deeper irony is. Austin, the city of yeah. Austin, became like the, yeah, it became like the factory. It became the biggest factory within the biggest quarterback mecca, and yet Texas couldn't find a quarterback and it was in quarterback hell. That irony, it I think it was too much for Texas fans, and it was like we got it. That, that was part of the beginning of the end for Matt. Yeah, because not only was like Travis an area that Luck grew up, but then you had your Manziel and Robert oh. Griffin's coming from the same. And we're talking about yeah. all that 09 to 2011 period yeah. that those he guys were on. becoming yep. to hop on. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Jameis Winston saying, hey, I wanted to go to Texas. You're like, what the hell? <laughs> what, what, who what said that? that happen? Who's yeah. It's like, yeah, I wanted to go to What the hell? Does everybody want to go to Texas? Oh, man, Mac did recruit. It, it was, it, it, yeah, I, I didn't even know if I believed that, but he did yeah. He did say it. But it was just it yeah, was, it was piling know. on at one point. The narrative became too strong against Mac. Yeah. You can't find a quarterback in a quarterback fertile land like uh, like Austin and like Texas, then you're incompetent and you can't do the job anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I uh, I looked at kind of the, the quarterback room and the mess it became under Mac mm. and how 
look, we, we've bashed Tom Herman for a lot of things on this show. And Tom Herman's been bashed in the court of public opinion yes, for a lot is. of things mm-hmm. that he did wrong at Texas. Yes, but one thing I'll give Tom Herman credit for. Give him some credit. Tom Herman understood what a lot of coaches now understand about quarterback and football. It's not just you have to be some kind of guru and understand there's certain intangibles you have to value. Like No, how you fix this quarterback problem, you throw as many bodies at the problem as you can. Stockpile it, baby. And at some point, you'll hit on something. Now, exactly. it should be said about Tom Herman. He did inherit Shane Bouchelle, and Sam Ellinger was already committed. And as I said, when the coaching transition happened, somebody like, well, Sam going to go elsewhere? Because keep in mind, Jimbo Fisher was at Florida State and wanted Sam and offered him and there was word of Sam going to take a visit to Florida State or, or other schools going to get involved. And I said at the time, I'm like, man, Moncrief could be just a smoldering pile of ashes and Sam Ellinger will be there with a shovel ready to rebuild it. Like yeah. Sam Ellinger's going to Texas. It didn't matter who the hell was going to be the head coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it didn't matter. So Tom <laughs> Herman inherited both of those guys. Like I don't, I, I, once, I, once, I once tried to give Sean Watson credit for recruiting mm-hmm. Shane Bouchelle and picking Sam Ellinger at a time where that was not the trendy pick for quarterbacks in that class was to go with Sam Ellinger. I tried to give Sean Watson credit, and somebody on the flagship message board at Horns 24-7 said, the only good thing that happened during Sean Watson's tenure as Texas quarterbacks coach is that nobody died. Wow. I was like, That's the only good thing? Nobody died under his watch. We I'm could like, definitely find it, something better than that. I was yeah. like, yeah. I was like, yeah. It's a pretty bleak yeah. breakdown. <laughs> Nobody died. Nobody died. <laughs> that, that's a true statement. I mean, wow. that is a true. That is a factual statement. Man, yes. what is Sean Watson doing now? Do we know? I have no idea. I'll Google Fishing. it. Yeah, probably so. Maybe yeah. That was a str- it was a strange time. It was a very str- I would look at it was a very strange time for the Texas. Offense. While Matt Google's that, yeah. Uh, weird. <laughs> so Tom Herman inherits Shane Bouchelle and Sam Ellinger mm-hmm. in the first recruiting cycle, the first full cycle where he and Tim <laughs> Beck have a chance to go out and get quarterbacks. Uh, they get Cam Rising and Casey Thompson. Cam no still updates balling. on Sean Watson since 2020 when he was tabbed as offensive assistant for Northern Iowa. Okay. All right. <laughs> at the end. At the end. Then. Uh, Thank you, Matt. You have the 2019 cycle where they recruit Roshan Johnson to be the quarterback, but he's uh, one of those guys brought in the data set that's mm-hmm. a position change guy and has yeah. actually become a pretty good, so that's, that's a pretty success good player, story. team leader. Yeah. I'm sorry. Updated. Been hired at Wofford. He's at Wofford right now. Boom. There you go. Props to Sean Watson for being employed. Associate head coach, OC quarterback coach at Wofford. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. So he's got that going for him. <laughs> uh, so you take two in 18, you take one in 19, uh, and then you take two again in 2020. So two with, every other year. With Hudson Card and Jaquin and Jackson, and then you take one in 2021 with Charles Wright. Now, you ended up with Charles Wright because, as we saw, that was towards the end of Tom Herman's run, and yeah. it's funny how the commitment of Quinn Ewers – Cost you Jalen Milrow, who you had committed. Which, by the way, he might be in next in line after Bryce Young at Alabama. Yeah, and your ineptitude on the field cost you Quinn Ewers, <laughs> which now in the weird roundabout way things work. Quinn Ewers is at Texas, so yeah, that Tom yeah. Herman at least was on the right track of hey, I'm just gonna probably every other year take two, some one maybe one year if there's somebody exactly. you really like or. Maybe you just don't want to reach for somebody else. If you don't think it's a great quarterback year, just keep your powder dry for the following year. Just take one this year, whatever. Uh, Tom Herman at least understood, hey, just more bodies. That's the answer, more bodies. Yeah. Just more quarterbacks. Just yeah, I mean, essentially bodies. you're, you know, it's a, it's a, it's the lottery ticket theory, right? You, you know, I don't play the lottery, but a lot of people do. But if you want to play the lottery, you got to buy a ticket. The more tickets you buy, better chance that you'll win the lottery. 
that's all you're doing with quarterbacks, man. You got to bring a ton of a more of them in. Um, for Tom Herman, though, it's interesting because he had a specific type of quarterback. I think that he liked, um, and so does Sark actually. Like think, Sark, you know, I mean, Sark wants a pocket passing quarterback, and, and I think Tom Herman, even though Tom Herman said he didn't, he wanted a guy that was more of a dual threat. I think it helped his offense. Helped yeah, facilitate the I offense. think Tom Herman, Tom Herman's vision was a little more clouded in terms of yeah. uh, talking to people close to the program at the time. Like, you know it, what the hell it would change. Yeah, like I, I, it was after they took Roshan Johnson. I'd heard from mm-hmm. somebody, well, we want somebody to just a great throw of the football. I'm like, you. That's not what you just took. <laughs> you, you you took you took a guy yeah. that looks like he he looks he's Greg Ward he's Braxton Miller he's some of these other guys yeah the Tom Herman is at least Sark's consistent the guys yeah. he's bringing in he likes arm talent yeah he's got to use arm talent that's Sark what he has wants. Sark has that checklist of yeah. things that he wants he yeah. wants quick hands and yeah. the ability to process all that stuff mm-hmm. um, I think quite frankly I, I, for whatever it's worth I think Sark is a better quarterback evaluator than Tom Herman and that's not Whoa. insulting Tom Herman's football acumen as much as Sark just has a background of having done it longer, and he's been able to pick the brain of a Bill Walsh. Like, hey, what what did you what what do you look for in quarterbacks? Mm-hmm. And he Sark, keep in mind when Sark was a quarterbacks coach at SC, he had a room where he had Matt Leiner, yep, Carson Palmer, and Matt Castle. By the way, Matt Castle double digit years in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was one of those going back to the Patriots. Was one of those quarterbacks the Patriots <laughs> drafted post Tom Brady. Flip for well, they flipping for like a second round pick or something. But like I looked yeah, at it. But in, in, but in terms of college football, I think what college football has taught us, Rod, to your point, Jeez, and and maybe Max, maybe Mac, in theory, at the root of it, wasn't wrong, but the approach he took to rectify it was misguided. We've seen in college football, in the college football playoff era, we've seen teams kind of go all in on one transcendent quarterback and win national championships. Clemson did it with Deshaun Watson, and they did it with Trevor Lawrence. But keep in mind, when Trevor Lawrence started, Kelly Bryant was the starter when that that. season started. Mm -hmm. And Dabo Swinney just decided, no, if we're going to win a national championship, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the guy. Kelly Bryant transfers, whatever. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Trevor Lawrence is the guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then LSU LSU did it in 2019 with Joe Burrow. But in the CFP era, go back to when Tom Herman was the OC at Ohio State. Braxton Miller got hurt before the start of the year. JT Barrett takes them through the whole year. They win the Big 12 championship, the Big 12, the Big, 12, the Big 10 championship game, I mean, the Sugar Bowl, and the CFP title game with a third-string quarterback in mm-hmm. Cardell Jones. Now, granted, you put any quarterback around, Michael Thomas and Zeke Kelly and all the NFL talent Ohio State had on that team, talent. probably be successful, but the bottom line, they won a national championship with a third-string quarterback. Maybe that's what mm-hmm. Tom Herman learned the lesson. Um, when Sark was, uh, Sark was an analyst at Alabama in 2016, uh, so he was involved in the recruitment in that recruiting cycle with Alabama recruiting Mac Jones and Tua in the same recruiting cycle. When they had Hurts. That was that was one cycle after they'd already gotten Jalen Hurts. So And then they bench each other for games to have you needed two quarterbacks right. twice with that yes, team. Did. I exactly. mentioned in the column, again this column at Horns twenty four seven that I put, talked about stockpiling quarterbacks. Alabama's won three national championships in the college football playoff era. They've done it with three different starting quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones, and Jake Coker. That's not counting when Tua replaced Jalen Hurts at halftime of the championship exactly. game in the 2017 season. So technically, you can say Alabama's used four yeah, different start, four different quarterbacks to win three national championships in the CFP. And era. then one of those well, other hold ones, on, hold they on. had to change the QB right. in the SEC championship game. Right. The the other example I was going to use is the most recent national champion, Georgia. And keep in mind, Georgia plays for the national championship in 2017 with Jake Fromm as their quarterback. 
Jake Fromm Which is crazy. Was, I know. was not the starting quarterback at the start of that year. It was Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason gets hurt. Then Jake Fromm is the starting quarterback. Jacob Eason transfers. The following year, Washington. you get Justin Fields. Yeah. They signed Justin Fields in 2018. He transfers. You go through Justin Fields, Dwan Mathis. Remember, they mm-hmm. took Jamie Newman from Wake Forest as a transfer, <laughs> and he never played at Georgia. Yep. I forget there was an eligibility issue or something there yeah. that happened. Uh, they also landed JT Daniels. So Kirby Smart stockpiling all these quarterbacks. Who's now at West, West Virginia. Virginia. <laughs> the guy they won a national championship with is Stetson Bennett, a guy that started as a walk-on, went to JUCO, came back as a scholarship guy. All these five-star quarterbacks. That 2018 year to JUCO. All these Man. five-star quarterbacks you recruited, the one you won a national championship with is Stetson Bennett. What do I always say? The woman you marry is not the hottest woman you ever dated. She was the one that was most compatible with you. So in the end, the one that was most compatible with George's blueprint to win was Stetson, Stetson freaking yeah. out of all the five stars. And by the way, those guys are all playing in the league. Jacob Eason got drafted. Mm-hmm. Justin Fields got drafted. Those Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm. And you know what I'm these guys are in the JT league. JT Daniels will probably play in the league. He'll probably play in the league. These are Stetson these are high level quarterbacks. Stetson's Stetson Greg McElroy. And Stetson Bennett probably, if he does, he probably won't for long. He'll be a one and done. So I'm like, just y'all like practice Greg squad guy. Exactly. So like I said, the woman you marry. Ain't the hottest woman you ever dated, but she's the one that was right for you. So that that's a big part of it too, man. You gotta the big arm and you know whatever your prototype is. Sometimes you gotta look past that mm-hmm. and you just gotta understand like, no, this guy wins. Yeah, so Stetson Bennett dreamed wins. to be Colt McCoy. He I know. Wasn't it's even, it was like the walk-on lesser version of a Colt McCoy. Rod, yeah. is this your way of saying Sark is winning a Big Twelve championship with Charles Wright? No, 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 over, not over at all. Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers. No, no, not at all. I'm just saying that like, would mean the program would be where we needed it to. It's be. basically saying that quarterback is one of those positions where, like I said, nobody knows what the hell they're doing. It is, it is extremely unpredictable. Predictable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, every time you think you know that what's going to happen at quarterback, you don't. It's it's one of those things where I, the, the great quote from Bill Walsh is, uh, and I love it because it even this is Bill Walsh because this is Bill Walsh letting you know that even he doesn't know. He says very few people can coach the quarterback, even fewer can evaluate them. Period. The those, one thing in sports the, that reminds period. me the most of it, like having to hit it pure is because you can go and look at the NCAA tournament and be like, hey, these are the best teams, the way you can look at best quarterbacks. But getting that team to be able to survive a 68-team tournament is really hard to where rarely does the best one win. Like to thread that needle, to have the quarterback. Like you can find who are probably your top five quarterbacks, but that doesn't necessarily always mean it's going to work or always fit. Yeah. It's just so hard to thread that needle and have everything work out. And then the player, you know, behind closed doors and the way he f- works with his teammates and the way that he reads mm-hmm. the opponents and then the way the ball bounces because sometimes yep. bad luck comes into play. And that's why oh, so you true. rarely see anything work out the way you expected to in the NCAA tournament. That's why yeah. Kansas fans will tell you they won a national championship this year. That might not be in the top five most talented teams Bill Self has coached. No. Exactly. But how did it fit? <laughs> exactly. Like accumulation of talent, as we all know, is very mm-hmm. different than a really great team. And we've seen accumulation of talent fail in every sport over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. But Ask that, KD about it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. so basically if, uh, the reason why I wrote this column was there was discussion on the message board about was Malik Murphy going to transfer? What does this mean? You, you don't want to lose Malik Murphy because I think he's got great tools. Okay. Yeah. It and I'm not knocking Malik Murphy at all. Just it, to me, it's almost filling name of quarterback. It doesn't matter if these guys transfer. If you're doing it the right way, you should be replenishing bodies year after year after year to where if guys transfer. In other words, right. 
the key to the quarterback, we talk about adding bodies, but how a coach has to look at it, Rod, you almost have to look at it, especially now for Sark, yours was key. It's going to be tough to do it with Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers in the pipeline because guys know what you've got. There's no mm-hmm. secret about it. But you've got two cycles now where the 23 to 24 cycles, you're not bound to the 25 initial counters. So if you want to take a third developmental quarterback, I mean, you can if you want, if that's what you decide you want to spend a scholarship on, if you've got room for it under the 85. But basically, you need to treat the quarterback room in college football like coaches in the pre-85 scholarship era treated every other position. You're pretty much just a name on a list. I've evaluated all of you. I feel all of you are capable of playing quarterback here. If a couple of you transfer, that's fine. I'm just going to keep bringing guys in. Just keep bringing guys in. Just keep replenishing the pipeline. I, I, I do agree with that. I think, yeah, no, no doubt. I don't disagree with that. What I will say is that Arch Manning will be treated differently. Yeah. yeah. Period. Uh, just Quinn Ewers already We've already seen it. Yeah, to Matt's point, yeah, we've already seen it with Quinn. Quinn Ewers already used to transfer. Yeah. So, like, it's going to be yeah. sort of a thing that works so, out good for yeah. Texas. And that's so, it. Exactly. So, because you just haven't had celebrity quarterbacks are rare in college football. You just don't have a lot of them. And he's a celebrity quarterback. So, They'll, he'll be treated differently, but I agree with you. For no question about it. you, you would be doing yourself a disservice if you did not treat the quarterback room basically like I need this many uh, top-rated bodies in the room at this at all times, and yeah. I, that's going to be my goal. I got to have, and I got to have two of them ready to play today. Well, and that's who are my two that's ready because Texas has used a lot. Even when they had, listen, even when they had really good quarterbacks who were who won the starting job that Texas could depend on, winning double-digit games. Still ended up using Buccelli during the mm-hmm. Sam Ellinger time to help you win some crucial games. Uh, I'll have to go back to my time with Sims and Major. Hell, he went back and forth with those. Mm-hmm. Hell, Sark went back and forth this year Hell, because Vince of injuries. Vince needed it with Mock and Vince needed it with Mock. It's going to have one or two. I don't know how many, but it may be the game that keeps you from going to the Big 12 title game. Yep. So you're going to need that with backup Colt quarterback. It happened with Devin Sneed the year before in 07. Exactly. That was, yeah. Yeah. You're going and there was a couple games six. in 07 where you needed John Childs in the Q package to get you through a game. Right. Don't, it was yeah, that Nebraska exactly. game. The 18-wheeler? Hell, 18-wheeler might have won you some games back then. I mean, you're going to need that Backup quarterback, man. You you're gonna need him. I don't care. I, I hope I don't want to. You know, well, knock on wood. I'm not trying to jinx anybody, but next year, backup quarterback, you're gonna need him. And then we'll time. see. And I Whoever don't. Th- I think this is something we'll see. Can start, start continue to stockpile the quarterbacks as long as he has the job and the ability to do so. But let's wait and see how 24's quarterback recruiting and stuff follows up because the class that follows up, Arch, that'll it's really true. tell us a that lot of these. And the lot. way that recruiting happens these days. We'll know those answers next summer. Like, you're already going to be that far ahead because you're always two years ahead in recruiting anyways. So if you start to maybe see a thinner class, then maybe that is a warning sign. But if they keep on stockpiling them, that's going to be something like, oh, nope, it aligns with what we're hoping. Transfer rates around 65%, I believe, for blue chip quarterbacks now, depending on what conference you're in. It could be a little higher, a little lower. Uh, I mean, let's just be honest. You're going to have one to two transfers out of that. That's in that current room right now and that's out through Arch in there, you're going to end up having two of those quarterbacks transfer. So mm-hmm. just pick your two. Now, yeah. Quinn can't. Well, he can, but he, he he'd be set to sit out here. So he's not. Time. So I would say you safe for Quinn, but for the most part, those other guys, whether it be Hudson Card, or Malik the Murphy, Charles Wright, yeah, nature of the beast. More well, money, more problems. You you actually want this problem. And yes. you want the best for the kids, means, too. And that, the best for the kids in those situations yeah. is finding a situation yeah. where you can have a better future. And I, like I said, you can judge it now if you bring in high-level quarterbacks. Because if he goes somewhere and starts and plays, 
You're like, Dad did a good job. Cam Rising, you're like, hey, I did a good job with that one. Yeah. I knew he, I knew that guy could play at the Power Five level. I knew that guy was a good player. So, honestly, as a as a quarterback evaluator, I wouldn't even look at it and be upset about it anymore. I'd look at it as, hey, I want to know how many of those guys that I brought in, like your Georgia, that end up getting drafted. Like, you know what? We did a good job. Good job, guys, on the evaluation. That guy can play. That guy's yep. going to play on Sundays. That's good. That we we had that guy in our quarterback room. Mm-hmm. We want as many of those. And then we'll brag about that. Be like, man, listen. You come out quarterback room, we only bring in the best. Look at all these guys. These guys have been – you can say that about Alabama too. Look at all the guys that have been in that quarterback mm-hmm. room. They go on to play in the NFL. I think of Florida State back in the day, like Brad Johnson right. barely played at Florida State. So I can say that about Bowl, USC Bowl. back yeah, in Matt the day. Matt Castle. Yeah, you know what I mean? Perfect like, example. That's got to be – your. you got to start changing up your pitch and your average because the truth is, yeah, probably you know one or two of those guys are going to end up transferring. They're not staying around just because they love Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there aren't that many Norcos in the world, exactly. right? Exactly. No, that don't exist no more, man. Yeah, or Case McCoy. I've said it before, uh, man. Exactly. Did, it, did anybody? Did anybody love being the backup quarterback at Texas more than Matt Norgren? Hell no, because <laughs> he didn't have to really focus. You know, what I mean, he could just just go, you know, go f off, have fun, and he got a lot of ladies. I'll give him credit for that. Well, we good. we've seen the TV shows. We know what Norco was focused on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, and he, hey, you know what? He was an All American. Yeah, total, <laughs> total package. He was a consensus All American from that department. I will give the man credit on that, man. He was a consensus All American, just snagging the ladies. He was great. Oh, uh, anytime yeah. we can make a Norco reference on this podcast, I wonder if Matt Nordgren listens to this show. Mm, I knows highly all doubt the, it. All the Norco references uh, we drop. I on highly show. doubt it. Yes, I'm going to highly doubt I'd it as say, well, yeah. but. But it might get on the off him, chance. On the off chance. On the off chance, it might. Shout out shout to out Norco, shout out to Norco wherever yeah. you are, sir. <laughs> Keep doing your thing. Um. So yeah, so I just like I said, it started about Malik Murphy, and I'm just like, you know, just don't, just don't worry about it. Like if guys transfer, it's gonna happen regardless of who it is, and yeah. you'll be fine with it. Like exactly. Texas had a plentiful quarterback room, even losing Cameron Rising. Like you lose Cameron Rising, but you keep Casey Thompson, and yeah, he's a backup to Sam Ellinger, and you. You know, recruit Roshan Johnson, whatever. Like it's yeah. it used to be shocking, but it's like the divorce rate now. It's like, yeah, you mm-hmm. got a fifty fifty shot. It's all right. Yeah. It's okay. It's like everybody out there got a you married, you got a fifty fifty shot. Territory. If it doesn't work out, it's like you don't need to be that heartbroken. It's okay. It happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it happens a lot. <laughs> all the time. Georgia, like I said, Georgia won a national championship with Stetson Bennett and not, not yeah. Justin Fields or Jamie Newman or JT Daniels or any of these other quarterbacks. It was If it's not happening to you, something's wrong with your quarterback room. I mean, I, I'm just saying, at this point, look at Bama and Georgia and when Oklahoma with Lincoln Raleigh was there, he'll have it happen to him. But USC's had it happening to them. You look at every blue oh, blood. Ohio State. Ohio State. Every blue Joe blood. Burrow was in that quarterback room at one point. Every blue blood's having it happening to them. I just think it's it's unavoidable these days. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. I agree with you, Rod. You, you, if you're doing it the right way, you shouldn't have yeah. uh, shouldn't be any issues. Um, I did want to talk about the defensive line because, uh, again, this is a column I wrote on the site. I don't know if we we'll have time to get into conference realignment. Just depends on what you guys want to do with the time we have remaining. But I did want to talk about D line uh, just from this standpoint. Uh, Texas gets a commitment over the weekend from Sadir Mitchell. Kid, uh, by the way, anytime you can get a pipeline to a legitimate prep powerhouse at a different part of the country. I'm all for it. Rod, I know last week you talked about Texas being able to recruit Louisiana now, like mm-hmm. not fearing, you know, going in there and getting into fights with LSU and Alabama for yeah, yeah. top recruits in the state of Louisiana. Uh, and there's a lot of different reasons you could do that. I think now that you have Arch, I think that gives you a lot of pull. Uh, Bo Davis and Terry Joseph have been recruiting that state for a long time, so they Brandon they know Harris, kind of where to. You gotta you gotta have people that understand how to navigate Louisiana where to best exactly. use your resources. It, exactly, it's very non traditional. That's how I'll describe. It. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you gotta be a local. We'll just yeah. we'll, we'll we'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But they go to New Jersey, Bergen Catholic, powerhouse on the East Coast. What the hell is Texas doing way up there? And get Sadir Mitchell, went head-to-head with Georgia, wow. A&M, and Miami for an interior defensive lineman. That's the hell of a battle. So last time they got a guy from Jersey. Was it Sims? It would have to be. Which is, we don't, I can't even remember. There's no way they had a guy from Jersey other than Sims. That, yeah, I can't I'll try remember. I'll find one. I can't Because that stands out to you like, oh, 12, 6 is way up there. Enough to where like, I thought of that school as the Cushing Jersey? school. When I heard Bergen Catholic, I was like, oh, yeah. that's where Brian Cushing, that's like the right? face of steroids. It's got to be the first guy from Jersey since Sims. It would have to be. Uh, I can't think I of one off the top of my of head. But Texas gets Sadir Mitchell, and I'm thinking about this Texas D-line. And then, look, rightfully so, we talk about Kyle Flood and the task he has ahead of him to mm-hmm. build an offensive line that for the better part of the last 15 years has just been, let's call it what it is, it's grossly underachieved. A disappointment. Yeah. Yes. But don't lose sight of Texas getting ready to go into college football's ultimate line of scrimmage league. I like that. Like building both that. lines of scrimmage. That would include <laughs> your defensive line. And you look at what Bo Davis did in his first cycle. Uh, you know, we got a sneak peek at Aaron Bryant and Jeray Bledsoe, yeah. and you know those interior those interior line. Christopher Ross from North Shore is another guy that's here in the summer now. Sadir Mitchell's the first interior take in the twenty three cycle. But you think about the guys that Bo Davis is recruiting, and you think about the guys on campus right now, like you've. You, it, it's a weird deal with the interior defense alignment because you've got a couple of guys, I think, as fifth-year seniors, even though they do have the COVID year they can use. Mm-hmm. Like I think we all agree, like, Keandre Coburn and Morgan Ojemo will probably be gone after this year, most likely. Uh, yeah. Ojemo's young enough to where he could come back and still uh, – the age thing wouldn't hurt him with the league. What? I don't know this guy's classification anymore because of the COVID year. I'm not gonna They're fifth-year seniors, but they have the opportunity to come back because one of those was a red shirt. It's, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's hard to uh, keep up this year. Okay. But I would I would think both those guys are going to move on okay. after the year. Um, Tavondre Sweat is draft eligible this year as a true senior. Uh, he could have a big year this year. And then you've got Alfred Collins is draft eligible oh, he ain't as a true junior. And Vernon Broughton is draft eligible. I'm just saying they're yeah, draft, draft eligible. eligible. Yeah, those two guys aren't going anywhere. Like I said, draft eligible and draft ability. Yeah, I remember There's when two I was draft eligible too. Two different conversations. <laughs> how how that? Did you submit paperwork with the league back in the day? No, as I think an I asked Cleve about it, and he was like, "You don't need to worry about it." <laughs> <laughs> you walk into Cleve's office, like, get out of here. Yeah, he's like, nah, yo, you're quite right. honest, and he was right. I didn't need to. Like Rod B, why are you wasting my time right now? <laughs> Pretty much, he thought it was a joke. <laughs> he's a non-BSer. The draft was a different deal back then, though. Yeah. In your defense, it was a little it bit was. of a different deal. Yeah, it was. I wasn't getting any advice. I was just, I'm curious actually, but yeah. Didn't even want you to submit the paperwork. Nah, no need, no need. Plus, but but <laughs> save you some time. Save you some time. But in your era, guys weren't leaving Texas early at that point. No, no, no. That's what I said. We it was just like it was actually something that honestly, but the truth is, I believe Sims had did it. Um, Roy Williams and did I it. I believe Sims and like C Red had did it. just to put Phil. They weren't they weren't leaving at right. all. I like, believe the whole Ricky point was to like back. to see. Yeah, that they were just gonna see. And I left with the Cleveland. I was like, hey, I heard the guy. He was like, no, now you're good. Just get out of here. What are you uh-huh. doing? Yeah, so. It worked out for you at the end of the day, though, Rod. You yeah. got your name called. Yeah, no doubt. But I was thinking about, you know, the the group of guys that Bo Davis is in charge of developing now, the guys he's recruiting, and I started thinking about, like, let's go back to Bo Davis's first tenure at Texas, his first stint. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was hired after the 2010 season when Mike Tollison retired. Rod, 
anybody that's played Tally. in that program and it was a bit love, love you some Coach Mike Tollison. Love Coach Tolly, man. Uh, love Tolly. So Tolly retires. Bo Davis gets hired. Bo Davis doesn't really get a 2011 cycle because Texas already had Desmond Jackson committed at that point. And a guy that, man, you talk about guys that just I f- that you feel have such upside, such potential, and this is why I go back to Matt's point, potential gets you in trouble. Mm-hmm. Man, when Texas mm-hmm. got Quincy Russell out of San Antonio, Sam Houston, oh, yeah. I thought here's a guy that's raw, a great, a great body, you know, great athlete, was a basketball player. He just didn't qualify academically, then went to Oklahoma, and I don't even I don't recall what he did during his time at Oklahoma. But basically the twenty eleven cycle was a wash at that point for Bo Davis. And you go to the twenty thirteen cycle, at twenty fourteen he didn't get to finish the cycle. Yep. Because actually if you follow Bo Davis's career, Bo Davis leaves to take a job on the staff being put together by newly hired USC head coach Steve Sarkeesian in January 2014. Hmm. But then Bo Davis goes back to Alabama because Charlie Strong hired Chris Rump to be his defensive line coach. And now Sark is the head coach of Texas and brings Bo Davis back to Texas. Interesting. It's weird how all this stuff works, oh, but no, it does. Yeah. So, coaches, small worlds. So basically, and then the 2013 cycle, Texas was tight on numbers, and by that point, it felt and we could all feel the walls kind of closing out on Mac anyway. Yeah. It's kind of winter else. And, you know, he couldn't hang on to Ashawn Robinson, lost him to Alabama, which by the way, Bo Davis ended up getting to coach Ashawn Robinson at Alabama anyway. So <laughs> that didn't matter. And they lost they, they recruited Andrew Billings, lost him late. He decided to stay home yeah, and okay. go to Baylor. So basically, Bo Davis got one recruiting cycle to with no no yeah. like nothing on the periphery, just straight up, hey, all things are equal. How do you go recruit? What kind of what kind of guys are you bringing in? Well, Bo Davis helps finish off the recruitment of Malcolm Brown. You get a five star defensive tackle who ends up being a consensus All American and a first round draft pick and a two time Super Bowl champion. That is a win for you. That's a win. He also recruits and gets two years of development with Hassan Ridgeway who was an edge player in high school, yep. kicked inside, and Ridgeway ends up being a fourth-round draft pick, yeah. still in the NFL. That's a good player. Bo Davis also, with Stacey Searles, convinced Mac Brown, hey, you need to ditch this policy of not wanting to recruit JUCO guys. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of holes on this roster. JUCO guys can help you get some quick fixes. I remember that. There was the whole Desmond Harrison fiasco, but they recruit Donald Hawkins and Brandon Moore in that 2012 cycle. Brandon Moore was only here for a year, but was a solid so player. Simple, yeah. Donald Hawkins was, and that was more of a Stacey Searles deal, but Donald Hawkins was a good, solid two-year player in the program, got a cup of coffee in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Something else Bo Davis doesn't get enough credit for. We talk about that 2014 draft, the draft where nobody got picked. It ended that long run Texas had. Yep. Due in large part to the job Bo Davis did, turning him from a bust of a running back recruit to an impact player on the defensive line, had it not been for a late-season knee injury, Chris Whaley might have gotten drafted. Yeah. No, that's a great point about Chris Whaley. That was a hell of a project. Yes. Yeah. And it was it, it, when that move was made, Rod, you remember when that move was made, it was almost like telling Bo Davis, like, here, you think you could do something with this guy? Here, try. Yeah. Because he ain't going to be a running back. Yeah. I don't know what he's going to be, but see see what you can do. And uh, that's, a hell, that's a hard transition. That's not an easy transition, like cornerback to safety. Running back to no. defensive Running tackle. Running back to D-tackle? Yeah. Dude. Yeah, you pick six in balls in the Texas Ooh. OU game. Yeah, man. That's impressive. That's maybe the most impressive one you gave me right there. So we saw in Bo Davis's first stint at Texas, he could recruit talent to Texas. Mm-hmm. And with the work he did with Chris Whaley and Hassan Ridgeway, 
You know he can develop talent. Well, you and Nick Saban twice. I know you can't develop talent. Right. You, Nick Saban ain't going to bring you back for a second time round. It was actually with Nick Saban multiple Everyone times. Was like, he was with him at LSU. I knew, oh, it's right. was with him with the Dolphins. Yeah, was true. was with him at Alabama twice. That's a good point. Yeah, so Nick Saban likes you. I like Saban it. keeps coming back to you for D-lines. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Look, and let's be honest, for the purposes of Longhorn Blitz, when Will Muschamp puts his stamp on you as a coach, oh, then man. you know you got something going. That is on. our spirit animal. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm. We talk about Kyle Flood all the time because we know the offensive line, and at some point it's got to get fixed, right? Mm-hmm. Can't be mediocre underachievers forever. Don't lose sight of what Bo Davis is doing with that. And now we talk about the edge guys. We talked a lot about the edge guys. How bad Texas was on the edge this year, but Invisible. that interior D line group underachieved last year. They did. Bo Davis has some pieces. We just talked about those draft-eligible pieces he's got, but you've also got a guy that I think was a real gem handed to you from the previous regime based on their recruiting efforts and Byron Murphy. So now we get to see – we've seen what Bo Davis has done at other places. We saw a flash of it at Texas. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you can't be just ecstatic about the interior defensive line in this program and where it can go. I know. I mean, they're stacked. Um Certainly stacked. My 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 only concern would be, you know, how does how much of the the group that he inherited, how much can he get out of them, and how much can he maximize that group? Um, not saying that they you know have given up on that group and are looking toward the future. They can't um, afford to yet. They can't afford to do that. I know they they just so trust me. They need to develop the talent they have. We've talked about that. Um, yeah, because I wanted a lot of those guys have reached their ceiling. I mean, and coaching would be obviously if they have not reached their ceiling, but we talked about other options, maybe putting these guys in specific situational roles more yeah. oftentimes than not, because they're not, not a lot of them are three down players, right? You've got guys situationally that shine. And I, and I, I wonder if he's going to develop these guys into having a more well rounded skill set. I think you've got some good players. Like I said, I don't think they're every down defensive linemen and even with your interior D line you you got guys I think that can penetrate and put pressure on opposing teams and pen and actually affect the quarterback and I think you got some other guys that can be early down run stuffers I don't know which one of these guys that I trust to do both consistently well let's let's just go back and think to Bo Davis's first tenure at Texas that those three years he was at Texas Mm Malcolm Brown didn't develop into that guy, and Hassan Ridgeway didn't develop into that guy until after Bo Davis left. But when he had those guys as young guys, that's kind of what they were doing, right? They were playing a lot of guys' situations. Like, you look at the bodies they had in there, and between Malcolm Brown, Hassan Ridgeway, think and about another it, one too. Desmond Jackson. Yeah, mm-hmm. Like, you had Ashton Dorsey for a minute. You had that. Calvin Howell for one yeah, year. And you had Brandon Moore for one year. Like, you had different guys that other than Keiston Randall, there probably was in Bo Davis's three seasons, other than Keiston Randall and Chris Whaley at the end, yeah, there wasn't one guy that was maybe a three down player. That was your every down guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess maybe Byron Murphy is the closest thing to that right now for him. I yeah, because a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Alfred Collins, line. we said he's Alfred Collins at this point is more of a situational pass rush guy. I agree. Yeah, because no, I think a lot of these guys are when you we break them down. Now we haven't, I would say we haven't seen the finished product of what they've done in the offseason, and hopefully you can get these guys more well-rounded skill sets. But I wonder early on, and they will be tested early on, so yeah. we'll get to see like how you're going to utilize these guys. You want to put them in a position to be successful, and even if you're building that confidence early on with situational 
uh, specific roles. You can always expand that because hopefully these guys are getting better as the season goes on with more reps, and then you expand that, right? You expand it based on who is separating themselves. There should be separation as well. Like I hope Alfred Collins isn't a situational pass rush guy week by game eight or nine. If it is, then – you know, Something's amiss, yeah, either it's with the with development or, or with exactly. yeah. There's something lost in the this so disconnect. Because I think right now, I think right now, I think the three guys that I think about that are close to being like every down players: Byron Murphy, who we just mentioned, uh, Moro Ojimo, I think is pretty close to being a three down player. Yeah, uh, and I actually, I'm a big Tavondre Sweat advocate. I think Sweat is pretty close to being a three down player. And that's where like back he might those- be. Whenever yeah. it was Ridgeway seemed to be that every down guy back then. Whenever you would have, then the other D tackle would be like a Boyette and Jackson. I forgot or something about Paul Boyette. Like yeah, it's like those it's were the. But they would always use. But you're right. That was a, a platoon point. over there yeah. with like the second D line. And you're so. deep enough to do that now. Yeah. Like you said, I think you got to find one anchor. You got to find one guy. So you won't be. You don't want to be rotating both D tackles situationally. You want one guy you can trust. If you can around. get it, yeah, you need it. And, then, and like I said, the best defensive line Bo Davis coached while he was at Texas was in 2011. Who was your anchor? It was Keaston Randall. Keaston Randall. Yep. Yep. End up being NFL guy. Hell, all those we, you've talked about this, Jeff. All the great defense for Texas. You got your anchor, that Rocket Gibraltar in the middle. Um, but so I'm not. So this won't be a great defense. Yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't. The know last that. time like PFF did uh, grades, it was 2014. They actually have the all the snap count data there. And when you look at that one, yeah, Bo wait, Davis was not there. He yeah, was, that he was, was the gone. end. It was just the leftover players from him. It was where like Malcolm Brown played 700 snaps and wow. Cedric Reed played 700 snaps. That's a go. different world than that, is, that we're living in these days. Very true. Good point. And plus, because of the offensive issues, that defense was on the field a lot. Yeah, Ridgeway played 520, Paul Boyette 330, Caleb Blewett uh, 260, and those were all players that were sort of left over from that Bo Davis era. Yep, good point. Man, so pretty much if there's anybody I trust to figure it out, <clears throat> Bo Davis has proven he can do it. I trust true. him. No, I, I don't know. Bo Davis's resume is, you know, you it, it's not something you really can question. Yeah, I mean, no. it's, it's it, it, he is well respected at at all levels with what he's done in terms of development and obviously as a recruiter too. But again, I just want to drive home: the SEC is a line of scrimmage league. I didn't say an offensive line league, line of scrimmage. Both sides. That means both. Both sides. We talk about big humans. You need girth, athleticism. You need it all. Both lines of scrimmage. Yep. Don't lose sight of your line. No time to get into conference realignment this week. Maybe we do it next week. I do, no, I do want to say we might have more news next week. Yeah, <laughs> but that discussion will continue. Uh, actually, to, uh, Wildcat Authority, our twenty our twenty four seven Sports Arizona property, has reported this. Dennis Dodd has reported this to CBS. The Big Twelve is uh, apparently aggressively pursuing a number of Pac twelve schools. I think Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado. They need to. Yeah, yeah the the, the Pac twelve Big Twelve merger thing. You can throw that out now because the Pac twelve is so weak. They're mm-hmm. so weak at this point, and they were hoodwinked and bamboozled by the Big Ten and essentially violated the alliance, the alliance right? <laughs> because we're behind their back and stole the L.A. market. Think about it. I mean, it's like what, Kramer. And it, it's different in Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 because taking L.A., taking L.A. out oh. of the Pac-12, that's like taking that's like taking Beyonce out of Destiny's Child. Yeah. You're done. It's Texas then OU there's, out of the Big 12. It, it, well, I don't think so. I think I think it's different. I think you still because you can still say, well, we got parts of Texas, 
We got TCU, we got Tech, true, we got Baylor. True, true. We, now we're bringing in U of H. We have some entities, so we don't. We can't say we own Texas, obviously, true. but we have some little small Houston, little shares yeah, yeah, yeah. of it. Uh, Houston, um, Dallas, and with Oklahoma, like, well, we still got Oklahoma State, which is you know still like you know that's like uh, a thirty percent of Oklahoma fans, so mm-hmm. they still can claim we got that. That would be with, more akin to back in the day when the South, when the, South, when the Southwest Conference and Big and Big Eight merged to form the Big Twelve. That would have been like if the Big Eight said no. We only want Texas and Texas A and M. Yeah, if you're the Southwest Conference, what do you have at that point? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, nothing. The, the big sale for the Pac-12, that big sale is you do own L.A. Like yeah. you own one of the largest markets, don't. and you own California. Yeah. Now you, I guess you got parts of Cali, but and it, don't don't discount this. The NFL moving into L.A. Don't and discount into that. Vegas, the West. Yeah, don't discount that. Cause that's a they don't care about football that much on the West Coast anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but now the football they do care about, you know, the Super Bowl champs now. Yeah, mm-hmm. new game in town. Yeah, so that's part There's of it that. too. And I also think too, I think people need to look at it differently, just from the standpoint of ten years ago when we were doing this, twelve years ago, it was all about television markets, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what television market? And I've heard some TV market talk. You're talking about TV markets right now with realignment. You're thinking about it all wrong. Because in the streaming yeah. world, exactly, you're you're requiring brands, you're requiring assets, and mm-hmm. for the Big Ten, yeah. you can't get Texas or Oklahoma other than Notre Dame. What bigger brand is there to go get than USC? Which gives yeah. the conferences less right power because Stanford still has branding, but the, pa- the Pac-12 has no type of agency over all these schools. Yeah, like you have some branding, but it's all individually to the school. The Pac-12 has no allegiance or no type of uh, authority over the branding of those schools. Yeah, I, I, and if they get Notre Dame, checkmate. I think our yeah. I think our points meld together, Rod. Yeah. Like, if you're going to take USC, be like, why don't we take USC? Why don't we just take all of Los Angeles? Why don't we just take Southern California? Well, yeah, you said. I mean, because you, we can. And this, those are the those are. And I always say it's about blue blood. Like Oregon ultimately. has branding because of Nike. It's, like Pac-12 doesn't have any elite. That is true. Or and I don't know. I, over I don't that. know what Phil Knight's gonna do. That's gonna be really interesting. But when you start thinking about it, yeah, they just trying to stockpile the blue blood brands and the blue blood brands. They 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 create their own markets pretty much. Yep. Um, but in a new uh, ecosystem of entertainment. But man, when you start thinking about it, major college football. You start thinking about blue blood brands. I mean, yeah, the, the Big 12, can they can try to merge with the Pac-12 and steal, and they should go steal and raid the Pac-12. But what's the Blue Bloods? Are there any Blue Bloods left in the in the Big 12, in the Pac-12? No. And the crazy thing about it, nobody ever detailed what the criteria was for a Blue Blood. We just kind of started talking about it, and nobody ever really detailed the criteria for a Power 5 either, which is also crumbling. Like, what the hell does that status yeah. matter anymore? That status doesn't matter That anymore. status doesn't matter. And now, now what still does matter, though, is Blue Bloods, right? Because they're stealing certain brands. They mm-hmm. want Texas and Oklahoma, and they want USC and UCLA. Now, UCLA, I think, is more part of the market, just so you can take the whole market. Because right. I don't think they're a Blue Blood like, like I said, that. We'll, but in we'll basketball, take LA just because in bas- we can. In basketball, well, they are. comes with USC. In basketball, they are. So it's like, we're thinking about football, but in basketball, they are a Blue Blood brand. So I think, I think you're right, Jeff. I think it's about getting the Blue Bloods, and yeah. I don't know who the hell decided who was what. But I think there's new money and old money, and the old money matters more because that's the blue bloods. But the new bloods, like Oregon, yeah, right. Like, what the hell is Oregon doing? That's new money. You definitely want Oregon oh, yeah, and Nike. Nike. I mean, if you talk about blue blood, blue bloods left in the Pac-12. I mean, go look at Washington. I I, I would like that Washington too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying Washington's a blue blood, but go look at their resume. They're closer than you think. They're closer than you think, man. You got to think. You got to look at brands, and Washington may be a good brand for you. But then I think politically, there are some people in. Or at least some some 
some politicians there in Washington and also in Oregon. They're going to try to tie Oregon into Oregon, Oregon State, State and Washington, Washington State. And that's, yep. yeah. And that's what happened with UCLA ugly. got tied in with USC. It's sort of like, well, I you, know, know, you like, get yeah. the benefit of coming But Oklahoma with. didn't have that. Remember, also talk about Oklahoma and Oklahoma State doing that. Oklahoma's like, no, nah, we well, don't like They're tied in with that, Texas. It was like, that, that actually rivalry. doesn't exist. Well, it wasn't necessarily a rivalry, but the state, like state politicians True. were like, no, no, you got to take this state school with you because state funds. Yeah. And Oklahoma's like, nah, that doesn't exist in our state laws. We're good. Well, USC's private, and that's oh. the difference there, too. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. They are and private. And that's where yeah. these different entities came in. That's where Oregon can sort of be screwed, but then if you're something like Stanford, you have your own. Now, they don't seem to want to have the brand, but there is a brand that goes with certain schools like that. So we'll see who's interested in what brand. Real Greg. quick, I'll ask you guys this. Because they we, fit that old Big Ten model. I'll ask right. you guys this as we get out of here. If Notre Dame joins the Big Ten, oh, it's my, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion they're on equal footing, if not ahead of the SEC in terms of the, the, the number of brands they've got. Uh... They're at and least the on equal. Money f- they could generate. They're yes. at least on equal footing, and you can yeah. make the argument they're ahead of the SEC. At you that can point. make that argument. Yeah, I agree. With with that. Yeah, Matt Notre Dame is the big deal yep, for sure. Okay, maybe we'll pick that up next week. Maybe we'll talk about something else next week. But next week we're gonna do a podcast looking ahead because we're recording on Tuesday. Big Twelve Media Days start on Wednesday. Texas goes on Thursday, which right I think we're both up in the Metroplex. For that, oh, uh, I don't know if we're going actually. Oh, really? Day. Yeah, because it's so late in the day. That show starts at oh, three. Yeah. It's over at four. Not just for an hour. So I don't know if we're going. Okay. Yeah, I think well, the rest of the shows are though. I know I'm. Yeah. I'm obligated to be there. Yeah. So, so I, I think you're going. I think Ian B and E are going too. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk a little Big Twelve and get back to talking about college football in 2022 next week. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome, Robbie. Appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049-1019-AM1260, streaming on that Horn app and at hornfm.com where you can get Rod B. and Mike Harge each and every week on Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7. Seamus Pluck. You can also get myself and Craig Waite each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes. Anywhere you get your podcast, click that follow button to get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.